Welcome to the Cochrane Community Church Podcast. We're so happy that you're joining us, and we look forward to how Jesus will impact your life through this message. See, at Cochrane Community Church, our mission is simple. We want to share the love of Jesus so that our families, our community, the next generation, and the world will know Him as Savior. And this means that we strive to be a loving, Christ-centered community of believers. We just want to say thank you so much again for taking the time to tune into this episode. And at this time, please sit back and relax and enjoy this week's episode. You heard me anyway, so yeah, who needs a microphone? Glad to see you here. I, I hope that you are getting uh, how all of this is flowing together. If you realize that we uh, have been doing a part of uh, a story of Jesus every week, obviously, which we do most of the time anyway, right? But we're looking at from Christmas to Easter, the two holidays and what happens in between as we head into the Easter season coming up. And I don't know if you noticed, but all of this ties together. So we have a story every week by somebody from our church here telling us, uh, giving us an overview of uh, what the message is going to be about and how that ties into uh, their life, how it applies to them. Because these uh, stories of Jesus, the Everything in the Bible ties into our life, right? And then we have uh, the version plan that's been going on. I don't know how many of you have been enjoying that, but we have a version plan that we were doing churchwide. And we have small groups meeting that are uh, after today, if you know or not, maybe you do, maybe you don't, uh, they get a group, of, they get a list of questions, each groups do, from today's message. And they gather together and people are meeting all over the place and they're going through these uh, questions about today's message just to go take it a step further and to make it deeper, to go just a little bit deeper. And then not only that, uh, as we move forward next week is uh, Palm Sunday. And so we've got that coming up. Palm Sunday uh, starts the Holy Week. And uh, you, of course, you want to be here for Palm Sunday and invite who you can for that. But Thursday of Holy Week, we are having a special fresh encounter right here in this room that will be, uh, you know, kind of like a Monday, Thursday celebration, continuing everything that we have started. And you have one of these in your worship folder. Take this, put it on your refrigerator, take a picture of it with your phone and send it out to everybody you know. Isn't that a good idea? That's a good idea. Take a picture of it with your phone. Send it out to everybody you know. This is going to be amazing. And it all ties together. Not only does that all tie together, Thursday night, next week, not this Thursday, next Thursday um, uh, comes, uh, let me see, we have Monday, Thursday. Then we're going to show the Passion of the Christ at the Irish Theater down at the Motzing Center on Friday and Saturday. All of it tying together. And so you need to be a part of all of this stuff. We make it... uh, uh, possible for you to become fully devoted followers by offering you this. So we have uh, the Passion of the Christ being shown at the Motsing Center on Friday and Saturday of Holy Week. Sunday is Easter Sunday. There is a uh, sunrise service at 7 a.m. put on by the community at the Iris Theater at the Motsing Center there. And then we have worship as well, obviously, on Sunday. And you got one of these in your worship folder. Take a picture of it. Send it out to all your friends. Note. Take note. Take note, 
Easter Sunday services, 8.30 and 10 a.m., all right? We wanted to make room for everybody and have enough room, so we switched our service times around just a little bit, 8.30 and 10 a.m. That way, you could come early and, uh, and then go on and do your Easter stuff with your families, or you can come later and do the same at 10 and still be early. There will be no Bible classes uh, that day, but there will be kids' activities. So you got that big, uh, giant postcard in there, and I was really surprised when it was that big, Tracy, when I saw it. But, but hey, you know, put it in your wallet. I don't know. Take a picture of it. Send it around. Both sides. Both sides. It's an invite. It's not for you. If you're a regular attender here, this is not for you, all right? You need to memorize what time the services are and then give it away, all right, okay? Hey, this is, this is uh, uh, very well thought out. There's a lot of thought put into this on how it all ties together, and we just want you to be able to be blessed and to grow in your faith and to get to know Jesus better and to bring somebody with you along for the ride. That's what it's about, isn't it? And that's what, and we're continuing today. And we've had an amazing look at the life of Jesus between the holidays of Christmas and Easter. And Jesus forgives, he provides, he has the authority, he has compassion. And uh, just a few weeks to go till we finish up. And I think we could keep on going and we will keep on going looking at the cool things that Jesus does throughout the year as we do. But as we get into five, uh, week five of Iconic, the life of Jesus, I want to get us started my uh, microphone key was getting snagged on something. I want to get it started by asking you a question, okay? So here's a question for you. Tracy kind of asked you a question earlier that goes along with this. All right, now, I want you to look back at your life. How many, I want to know how many of you here today can look back at your life and remember something that you did, that you said, that you were a part of, whatever it was, one of those things that you did, that you said, that you were a part of that to this day causes you regret when you remember it. Yes? Maybe it causes you sadness. Maybe it causes you guilt. Come on, think about it. Think about it to this day. I think I told you before, my mom let me drive my friends home in her car and I didn't have my license. The one time she lets me drive and I got pulled over and the car got towed away how does that even happen? I don't know. How could I drive the car one time? In the car? So yeah, I have a lot of regret over that when I think about it. It still makes me go, oh, what was I thinking? And that was, you know, like uh, 70, 80 years ago. And I still think, oh my gosh, what the heck? How could that happen? So I know you have those. I know you have things like that. Something that you did, didn't do, said, or was a part of, it still causes you sadness, remorse, regret, remorse, regret, or even mistakes. Maybe they make you laugh or make you cringe, like uh, getting pulled over, having to go home and tell your mom, walk home and tell your mom that, that you don't have the car because it got towed away. There's that. But see, it's part of life. It's part of human nature. And, and what it is, what it sometimes boils down to is we, have the, we don't have the ability to let stuff go sometimes, do we? We don't have the ability to forgive ourselves sometimes. And we can beat ourselves up for something that we did 30 years ago, if you're that old. 30 years ago, we can beat ourselves up over it. Oh, that still causes me, ugh, when you think of it. Tell me that that, that doesn't happen. It does. It does. We think that we'll never measure up. And, uh, but God tells us otherwise. The truth is, all of us have hindrances to truly, you know, and we just sang about it, the second song. All of us have hindrances to truly experiencing God's grace and the amazing life that he has in store for us. We talked about just now, I will sing to you in the darkness. 
I'll sing to you when things are not going very well. I'll worship you. I'll praise you when I'm having uh, problems or challenges. We let the memories of mistakes linger in the backs of our minds, and those memories steal and ruin our joy and hinder a truly fruitful relationship with Jesus Christ and also hinder a truly fruitful relationship with those around us. We wish we could go back, have a do-over, hit the delete key, get rid of it. We live with a thought that will never measure up, that will never be acceptable in God's eyes. Maybe that's you today. We live with the thought that will never be forgiven. How could God ever love me? Some of us ask, and some of us are going through that right now. How could God ever love me after what I've done? And here's, you know, I just heard Pastor Craig Rochelle say this. He said, you are not your past. You are who God says you are. You are not your past. You are who God says you are. Amen. Amen. And today we're going to talk about the unconditional love of Jesus as we look at a familiar story in the book of John in the New Testament. If you want to turn there. We were in the book of John last week talking about the woman caught in adultery. What happened there, right? Today's story is about a lady that had plenty of reasons to have shame and regret in her life. But just like last week, Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up. That's what he does. In our story today, the iconic Jesus is going to confront the Samaritans. You guys heard of the Good Samaritan, right? Well, according to Jewish people, there wasn't any Good Samaritans. He was one, though. He was a Good Samaritan. The Samaritans were people who lived in the northern kingdom of Israel. Samaria was the name of the capital there. It was located between Galilee in the north and Judea in the south. And they were a mixed race. The Samaritans were a mixed race, racially mixed society with Jewish and pagan ancestry, although they did worship Yahweh and they did have the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. They did have that, but uh, as did the Jews, their religion was not mainstream Judaism. And rather than contaminate themselves by going through Samaritan territory, Jewish people who were traveling from Judea to Galilee or vice versa would cross over the Jordan River, bypass Samaria by going through Transjordan and cross over the river on the other side. They would take a circuitous route around the Samaritans so that they wouldn't be contaminated to get to their destination. Now, the Samaritans were the same way. They didn't like Jewish people either. So it went both ways. They didn't get along. That's just how it was. And Jesus, on one of his journeys, though, he decides to go through Samaria instead of around it. Could have went around it. So why did Jesus go through Samaria instead of around it? Most scholars believe, and I'd have to tend to agree, he had a divine appointment with the woman at the well and the people there. The Samaritans, like, listen, the Samaritans, like everybody else, needed to know that the Messiah had come. Jesus, the Messiah, is going into enemy territory. Know that. Going into enemy
go from one Isn't he God in the enemy? Tired as he was from the journey. Yes, Jesus gets tired and he gets hot and he gets thirsty. All of those things. That's his humanity. And he sits down by the well. And then it says in verse 4 that he had. that. He had to go. So why did he have to? We usually avoid our enemies. And author William Tenney said that as the savior of all men, Jesus had to confront the smoldering suspicion and enmity between Jew and Samaritan by ministering to his enemies. <coughs> Excuse me. And that's a great quote. Isn't that a great quote? He had to go through Samaria. And wouldn't you know, Samaritan woman shows up. Wouldn't you know? Go figure. This is a good story. This is a really good story. I know you've heard it a million times. It's, still, it's good every time. It's good. You get something different out of it every time. I'm telling you. So she shows up to draw water from the well. Now, here's a couple things we need to think about. A... Women generally didn't go to the well by themselves to draw water in this culture, generally, okay? B, they would never go at noon. I mean, you think about the region over there, it's sand. <laughs> and it's hot. Jesus was hot because he just walked, right? So it's sand. So you don't go to the well at noon when it's the hottest part of the day. But she's there. Something's up here. And maybe it's that this woman, but we don't know it yet, feels a sense of shame and was avoiding contact with other women because of her shame. Why is she there at noon by herself? But guess what? She's not going to avoid her destiny. She's not going to avoid her destiny. And so Jesus, sitting there, hot and tired as he was, she shows up by herself, asks her for a drink. And by the way, a man, Jewish man, talking to a Samaritan woman alone at a well is even more outrageous. Why would he do that? It's another red flag there. And Jesus asked her for a drink. There's all these red flags everywhere. What's, what's all this stuff? This is not, nothing's right in this. Look at this. Number one, I want us to start here. Jesus initiates the interaction. Jesus initiates the interaction. Oh, boy, some of us can say that when we, when we uh, uh, became believers, we just really felt it in our spirit that the Lord was tugging on our hearts. The, initiate, the, uh, the interaction was being initiated, right? The Samaritan, the enemy, the sinful, the unclean. Will you give me a drink? Jesus purposefully initiates the conversation with the enemy in enemy territory and a woman, no less. He does this kind of thing, though. He doesn't just, just have any boundaries like that. He does this kind of thing. I just want to just show you really quickly how he initiates the odd relationship in other places too. Look at this, look at this uh, verse here from Matthew. Jesus went on from there. He saw a man named Matthew sitting, the worst sinner of the world, thief, etc., etc., that everybody hated, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told Matthew. 
And Matthew got up and followed him, and he goes to his house and hangs out. I mean, Jesus does this kind of stuff. Boy, we can learn a lot, can't we? It's a crazy tax collector, the worst of the worst. We should be so bold. Jesus is saying, look at this. In both situations, I don't care how bad you screwed up your life or what you've gotten yourself into. He has no problem initiating the interaction or the conversation or walking into enemy territory or whatever it is, whatever it may be, to do what he came here to do. No problem. To do whatever he needs to do. And she answers his request by what she knows. I'm not going to give you a drink of water. I'm a Samaritan. Look at that. Verse 9. Six. Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan for crying out loud. Didn't say that. I put that in there, the for crying out loud part. How can you ask me for a drink? And then John puts in there, for Jews did not associate with Samaritans. It clears that up, makes it, makes it absolutely certain that we know that. Here's what we can learn from this. Here's what we can learn from this, that no matter what you or I bring to the table, no matter what it is, Jesus is going to have a seat. He has no preconceived notions about who is worthy to sit with him. Boy, I do sometimes. Bet you do too, right? Because everyone everywhere needs Jesus. And maybe in here you, need, you know Jesus, and, and that's fine, and that's great. That's a good thing. But who do you need to sit next to in your life that doesn't know Jesus that you might think of as not somebody you would sit at the same table with? See what I mean? We don't operate that way. Tell me this. We walk the other way at the grocery store if we see somebody we don't really want to have a conversation with. Don't lie. You've done it. Don't lie. Like, oh, man. There's that lady that talks all the time. Go the other way. You know, don't lie. You're in church. And in our story, the Samaritan woman calls him on it. She's like, dude, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? She's like, well, what are you doing here anyway? And then what's Jesus do? What's Jesus do usually? Jesus does what Jesus does. He gets all Jesus-y. He does. He gets all Jesus-y. Look at this, John 10, John 4, 10 through 14. Here she gets Jesus-y. Jesus answered her. It's like, why are you asking me for a drink? And here's his answer, okay? If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and livestock? And Jesus answered, Jesus, by the way, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Can you imagine what she's thinking? Like, no, wait, now what? Just ask you for a drink, dude. You know, like, no, wait, now what? But see, Jesus ignores her comment about asking for water and cuts right to the chase, doesn't he? 
He goes right into a spiritual conversation. What is that? Evangelism, isn't it? Sure it is. He goes right into a spiritual conversation. This confused the woman since she had no context for moving from physical water to spiritual water, living water, whatever that is. Author Leon Moore said that Jesus is speaking of the new life that he will give, a life connected with the activity of the spirit, and she has no context of this yet. No context. This goes right over her head. Kenneth Gangle said that uh, the water that the, the woman had come to draw had to be obtained with hard labor in the sun. Jesus is talking about this refreshing water, right, it made available without all that effort, that she, that would be so much better for her, wouldn't it? He said, uh, Jesus says that receive, the person that receives it, it bubbles up in them forever. Eternal life bubbles up in them forever. It's like you're not dropping a bucket down a 100-foot well. You see, people, us, all of us, we depend on physical water, don't we? We have to have water. We always get thirsty. Continuously, we have to. We live that way, and that's how we're made. That's how God made us. And I've been in a place where I do anything for a drink of water or a drink of something, haven't you? No, we all have. I've been to places where I've seen some uh, messy Water that people were drinking. I was in Honduras once, and uh, we were, I was there with a water well team, and we drove through uh, a date palm grove, and it was just thick with date palms. There was monkeys in the trees. I'd never seen anything like it before, and we drove through in our truck and came out into an opening, which there was a village there, and they had these block buildings, these one-room block buildings that these villagers lived in, and there was literally a hole as big as this table right here, just a mud hole dug in the dirt, and that's where they got their water from. And you could see the water in there. And, you know, I think they'd boil it and stuff or whatever. I don't know if they drank it or what, but that was their water source. And they came there to uh, drink a water well, but that's all they had to draw their water from. Matt Carter wrote that coming to God in salvation is pictured as a free, open source of water. Every need is met. Every thirst is quenched. And here's, quenched, and here's what's happening. Jesus exposes spiritual thirst. He initiated the interaction and moved right into spiritual matters with this lady at Jacob's well. An enemy in enemy territory. Let's look at one more part of the story here. I said we weren't going to make it through the whole thing. We're just going to look at a few pieces here. Let's go to verse 15. Where Jesus says, welling up to eternal life. Then she says, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and I won't have to keep coming here to draw water. See? She won't have to keep coming there. And he told her, go, call your husband and come back. Okay. She says, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right. When you say that you have no husband, the fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you know and the man you you now have is not your husband. What you have, just what you have just said is quite true. You want to know what we learned here? It's about what we talked about earlier. Jesus knows. Jesus knew about all the junk and sin in her life. He knew what kind of person she really was. And much to her surprise, yikes, ouch, he told her all about it. He told her all about it. 
But here, here's, what, here's, what our, here's what her story tells us. She's desperate for a satisfying life. She's desperate for love. She's desperate for a relationship that will satisfy. She's desperate for a husband so she can fit in and not have to go to the well by herself in the heat of the day, for instance. And Jesus shows her that he knows how desperately she's tried, and he knows that she settled for a live-in lover because all that desperation didn't get her anywhere. And guess what? The answer to her desperation is sitting right next to her at the well. Her chance encounter. Chance encounter? I don't know. And he knows all the dirty details, and he still offers her, listen, he knows all the dirty details, and he still offers her a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Man. She doesn't quite understand it. She doesn't understand that all this comes through a relationship with him. Are you getting the significance of this? The significance of this. Are you desperate? Is there a desperate person in your life right now? Maybe somebody's desperate in your life that you've written off because uh, they don't behave the way you think they should. And you would never invite them to the table to sit with you. Maybe you're the one that's desperate. And if that's you, Jesus wants to sit down with you at the well. Number three, Jesus promises lasting satisfaction. She says, I don't ever want to have to come here again. Whoever drinks the water I will give will never thirst. Never. You see, a relationship with Jesus quenches the soul. A relationship with Jesus offers forgiveness and eternal life, no matter what your past looks like. Listen to that. How can we live with regret and shame and guilt when Jesus says, I, may, I have come so that you may have life and have life to the full? He loves you unconditionally. And when we have Jesus Christ as our Savior, the past is forgotten. We don't have to live it anymore. Like the woman at the well, we can try and try and try to fill the void that all humans have in their spirit with everything this world has to offer, but we will never be satisfied until we allow the living water of Jesus to become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Look at this will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. My version here says cleanse, cleanse. And that's what water does. It cleanses, cleanse us all from all unrighteousness. Because of his unconditional love, Jesus forgives you for all the junk that you've done. You don't have to clean yourself up to come before Jesus. He'll sit down next to you at the well, no matter what your situation is, no matter what you've done, no matter what your life has been like, it doesn't matter. And that includes anybody that you know that you don't think is worthy to be sitting at the well next to Jesus. You just have to understand that you are sinful, right? You have to understand that you are sinful. You have to believe that he paid for your sins on the cross. You have to receive him as your savior. Drink the spiritual water that he offers you, which is a metaphor for receiving him as your savior. Then you are cleansed from all your mistakes and your mess-ups and everything that you can't let go of. 
those things that came to your mind when we started this morning. That's why he came. That's why he sat down. Because just like the woman at the well, Jesus initiates the interaction. Are you listening? Jesus exposes our need for him. He exposes our spiritual thirst. Man, that happened to me. And he promises lasting satisfaction through grace, his unearned favor, and eternal life through a relationship with him. And that's unconditional love. Our story goes on for a little bit. Look what happens. Verse 25. Oh boy, oh boy. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. With this. And Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. I'm it. That's me. He makes it known who he is. He makes it known who he is. Do you know who he is in your life? Have you received the living water of a relationship with Jesus? I just had to share with you what happens. Verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. His enemies, right? And because of his words, many more became followers. And they said to the women, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Jesus really is the savior of the world who loves unconditionally. Jesus really is the savior of the world. Your last point, number four. Put yourself in a story with the town people, with the woman at the well, somebody you know, maybe somebody you know, maybe you're doing pretty good. Awesome. Maybe somebody you know needs you to sit down next to them and tell them about our Savior Jesus. He didn't have any fear. He didn't have any preconceived notions of what somebody should look like or be like or anything. He just, maybe that's you. Maybe you feel unworthy today. Oh my, you are more than worthy in the eyes of Jesus to have him as your Savior. He'll forgive you for all of that. He'll just confess it. He'll forgive you. You can be a part of his family. Have him as your Savior. Don't leave here today without making sure you know you are saved. Let's pray. What a story today, Lord. Thank you so much for this. Thank you for what we got to learn from the the woman at the well. My, oh my, good stuff. Thank you. To see how you're in the details. You are in the details. Oh, man, you make salvation available to anybody who seeks you. Anybody who who, uh, confesses with their mouth that you are Lord and believes in their heart that you raised from the grave that can be born again. 
And I know that you are initiating that right in this room. You're initiating that relationship in this room and people watching online, wherever it is, Lord, of people that need you, you're stirring in hearts. And maybe you're stirring in hearts right now of people in this room that know you already, but know somebody that needs a relationship with you. Oh, teach us to love the unlovable as you did. Teach us to accept who you make us when we become born again. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. There's no better song to close with than this one. Why don't you stand and let's sing it together. We hope you found this week's episode relevant and encouraging. We just want to say thanks so much for taking time to listen. And if you'd like, please feel free to share it with a family member or a friend. We would really appreciate it. If you'd like more information about Cochrane Community Church, go online and visit ccubchurch.org. Well, that's all the time we have this week, but we would love for you to join us back here next week as we continue to see what it looks like to live a countercultural lifestyle for God. And from all of us here at Cochrane Community Church, we just want to say that we pray that God blesses your faithfulness. We'll see you back here next week.